Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. One of our favorite ways to learn, besides reading, of course, is by streaming The Great Courses Plus. Watch and listen to over 10,000 lectures from award-winning experts as they explore fascinating people, places, and ideas. We recommend checking out a new course from The Great Courses Plus, Sci-Fi, Science Fiction as Philosophy. Philosophy is the search for truth, and sometimes that truth is best revealed through fiction. The Great Courses Plus is giving our listeners a fantastic limited-time offer. Get your first month free, plus receive the second month for only 99 cents. That's unlimited access to enjoy their huge library of engaging lectures for two full months for under a dollar. To get this exclusive offer, go to thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash bookriot. Thanks to them for sponsoring this week's show. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 285. We're recording on Thursday, November 1st. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. I, I almost freaked out because the copy was wrong. You read the copy as I'm Jeff O'Neill. I was like, wait, oh, wait, that's right. <laughs> you know, I've done it, I think, at least once. I I'm just sure. ran right through, straight. I'm, I'm Jeff O'Neill. O'Neill. You didn't even notice it. Just went flying by. It's been, we've had a week. <laughs> it's, it's been a busy week. It's Halloween. It has been a week, you know, October lasted forever. <laughs> yeah. I felt like. Oh, you, it's, yeah, it's a long October. That's true. Um. Uh, it has been a week. We, I mean, part of the longness we can say is that we, it was a it's a Rebecca Shinsky joint, but I was a part of it. Annotated November episode is up mm-hmm. today, so the last well, you've been working on it for a while, but you know, the last week or so when we're doing edits and getting the thing published, um, always makes it an interesting week. Uh, the end of the month now is extremely interesting. A lot of other stuff going yeah, on in the world. That's true. But we had that mm-hmm. go checked out. Um, the title of that one, I guess. They're all, all the annotated episodes are pretty interesting, I'd say, for Book Riot podcast listeners. This one may be more than most. We do some methodology cornerish types of things. It's called "Is Reading Endangered?" Question mark. Um, you can go find that. I'll put a link in the show notes there. You can find Apple Podcast. Go check it out, um, Rebecca. You did a good job with it. It was a, it's a tough Thanks. one. Um, it was right in the wheelhouse, yeah, though, yeah. of a bunch of things that I'm interested in. Anybody who's been listening to this show for a while will not be surprised that right. this was a. I think I had a lot of fun digging into and writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I guess we're going to get to follow up down in a minute. So let's do a sponsor, and then we'll we'll get we'll get cooking. You got it. So our first sponsor this week is Wear Girl Typhon by C.D. Bell. This tells the story of three sisters who are together for the first time since birth. Nessa Curland, a werewolf with powers she has learned to control. Delphine, who grew up knowing there was more to their family's story than was being said. And finally, the Chimera, known as CM, a construction of their father's living lab, whose very existence threatens them all. 
and a storm is coming. When Nessa is faced with the ultimate choice, will everyone make it out alive? Booklist raves, the drama won't let up. A fast-paced, intelligent story that explores what defines a human being is from Forward. This is a superhero origin story with a feminist twist. It's breaking tradition from the typical superhero mold, where Girl introduces a heroine who is strong, tough, and gutsy even before her magical transformation, and who relishes and embraces the powers her werewolfism brings her. There's friendship and romance, science and magic. Where Girl Typhon by C.D. Bell is available wherever books are sold, and you can find a link to it in the show notes. It's follow-up time. Good follow-up this week. Um, Moira Donegan, uh, who we've talked about over time, but especially of late as Stephen Elliott brought his defamation suit against her for being creator i i, I was really, i'm going i know you're going to be surprised that i'm quibbling with the idea of creator um and of a definition of a word that no one else cares about but me she did she create the list i guess she hosted it she put the structure together i mean i think that's part of the what goes well, to the core of the defamation idea is like mm-hmm. she hosted it she put together the framework she let other people know about it signed a deal to sell a book about uh, the description, I think, is interesting. Uh, this is a quote the, from the Publishers Weekly article that will be in the show notes. The perfect introduction to the political and moral challenges of the Me Too movement. So I think it's it's going to deal with the thorniness, um, mm-hmm. as Donegan herself all too is. I think, if anything, it would be better to have a specific title of a book to say she's the author of rather than of this this shitty media man, like yeah. everything about her now is high, is a, was, was, has in a positive saying creator of originator of this shitty mm-hmm. media men list just because it's an unfortunate title, but it's also sort of a negative. Well, uh, I think it's also too, in a way it's too small. Right. Like what yes, she really, exactly. That's what right. she did was it's not like she just made a Google doc right. <laughs> and called it a day. Like that, it almost minimizes it to call her creator of the shitty media men mm. list. Like what she has done is facilitate first a place for women to tell women and, and men for survivors of sexual harassment and sexual assault to tell their stories and then facilitated the breaking out of that conversation that has led to, you know, some reckoning mm-hmm. uh, in the public sphere about these behaviors. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think there's like this was an activist act to yes, take, but agreed. I don't know if she thinks of herself as an activist. Um, I would describe like what she has done is certainly a form of activism, but we don't have a good, we don't have a good word here. I agree with you that like just the quick one line bio of like, this is Maura Donegan and she's the creator of the shitty media men list. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really, it doesn't give you the full story or a good sense of really the work that she's doing. And so I'm um, for a lot of reasons, glad that she's getting this book deal, but a chance to, um, to be considered in a bigger way for hopefully like the breadth of the yeah. work and, and the impact of the work that she's doing and to really tell the whole story. This is, this is a hyperbole, which is exaggeration for effect. Would it be like saying Charles Darwin, comma, the author of the origin of species, comma, right? I mean, right. That is, I mean, right. that's true. It's factually correct, but like, <laughs> but like it doesn't convey it doesn't capture the, the whole thing. Right. right. Um, right. So that it doesn't say anything about when the book is coming out. I'm yeah. guessing they're going to try to be uh, quick, but don't hurry um, mm-hmm. to use a John Woodenism about it. But uh, you know, we, I, we talked about the Streisand effect on a recent show. Uh, she's also has the mm-hmm. opposite of the Streisand effect. This 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 Elliot lawsuit. 
No one was talking about a book deal for her, as, as I heard before this. <laughs> I mean, maybe there was, but it is right, interesting which... that after the suit came out, we've had a couple of, you know, the GoFundMe for her legal campaign and then the high-profile representation and now a book deal. So um, good job, Stephen Elliott. I'm sure you're getting exactly what you uh, were bargaining for <laughs> with this particular suit. Yeah, you know, I would bet just knowing how canny literary agents are that probably as soon as her name was attached to this yeah. and it was clear it was going to be a story she was being approached for things um, just related to books around me too if you have read good and mad by rebecca traster oh, or yeah. you've been following it um, i'm sure she's doing a lot of media but i heard a great interview with her on the forever 35 podcast which is hosted by dory shafrir um, formerly of buzzfeed and kate spencer uh, and the show is about self-care and all kinds of self-care and often ranges into like beauty routines and regimens, but they have an interesting guest every time around. And Rebecca Traster was on a recent episode talking about um, how Good and Mad got written and talking about the function of women's anger in society and about the Me Too movement in the context of that. Um, so there's some interesting stuff in there about the publishing process and like how quick, how she intended to write this book and then how quickly she ended up writing it and how it took shape. But um, for folks following it, also an interesting frame of mm. looking at women's anger and expression of anger as an act and method of self-care, um, which is not what this show is about, but I think is worth mentioning. So there it is. So watching that, um, fascinating to see. I mean, Donegan hasn't, it's not one of those situations where people are going to write a book that's like a compendium of their public the statements and interviews and essays about a particular topic. She hasn't said that much publicly, I think, for reasons that make a lot of sense. Um, mm-hmm. As you, I, you were, you're canny to point out that she, our traditional mental model of an activist is hard to 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 map onto her. Um, she did something. I think she took a specific action. The creation of this list that she thought would do good. She felt motivated to do it. I guess an activist idea would be you're doing something with the idea of a more wide-ranging, systemic kind of a change, this felt more like almost a life jacket situation of like, we need a list of dudes to avoid, right? Like, yeah. And if it doesn't do anything more than that, it will be a good in itself, where an activist is really trying to change a, a structure or a law or something like that. Yeah, I I think the goalposts probably moved oh, for sure. this. Oh, sure, yes, that, of course. You yeah. know, that, yeah, that you're right, that it started as essentially a formalized recorded document version of the whisper network mm-hmm. like how can you get the information if you're not talking to all the right people or like in publishing um there is a thing that i've noticed during the me too stuff about like the folks who live in new york and encounter mm-hmm. all the rest of the publishing industry in new york on a regular basis ha- seem to have a very strong whisper network if you live outside new york or you're not talking to people who live in new york that often like you may have encounters with people that yeah. um that, that you would have wished you had known this piece of framing about them prior and so she she created that way to you know record and share knowledge about knowledge and experiences and then when it got out the like what do we do with this and what does it mean and uh, is a different mm-hmm. like th- th- that began became a different beast yeah. um the sort of the intention the original intention and then the ultimate intention of it i think really did shift um i am really looking forward to hearing uh, the book is about dealing with sexual harassment but i would assume there's going to be a lot of her in it and um i'm really looking forward to hearing about that, about her experience doing this. Are you ready? Can I can I bother you with a "Hey, did you know?" thing, sort of related to this? Oh, Jeff, a "Hey, did you know?" is never. And this is also the kind of question you really can't. Say. It's going to happen 
no matter what you say, I'm so sorry about right. this, right? It's like, uh, you know. No, just I'm ready. I'm ready. So, you know, that thing you're saying about the physical proximity to the seat of power around publishing matters, like kinds of information mm-hmm. gets communicated intrapersonally being around in the halls of powers as regards. You know, there's no better historical example than Versailles and Louis XIV, right? Basically, Versailles held all the royalty because they wanted to be mm. around Louis XIV because it was so powerful. And the phrase we have for, you know, something can't hold a candle to something as being it's not as good as, not powerful as, uh-huh. because whoever held Louis XIV's candle when he was going to bed had sort of the greatest amount of influence <laughs> On Louis the Fourteenth, and that's where the phrase "hold a, you can't hold a candle oh, to" comes from. I love a linguistic. Hey, did you know? Right. I, you know, this is what happened. That's a good one. Yeah, it's not bad, right? Like, I, if you had asked one. me before, I don't even remember where I read this, but I remember thinking at the same time, it's like that I didn't even, I've never even thought about that phrase hold the candle to because it's nonsensical like holding candles next to things like wh- why right, has that's it one of those power? that like right like an alien lands and you have to explain <laughs> yeah, why right. do we say it yeah, this way. Totally. Yeah. I have no idea. I would. I've also never interrogated the origin of that phrase. Yeah, my daughter Rowan um, this morning asked me. Like I said, you know, we said, you know, they're up for go having pizza, mm, and she's like, "What does that mm-hmm. mean?" I was like, "Well, they're willing to do it." It's like, "Why do you say up for?" I'm like, Bec- "And you could also say they're down yeah, for they're it. Down it would for mean it. The same. they're up off the couch. They're down off the bunk. But I, I couldn't. I had nothing. I had nothing. Thumbs. They gave it the thumbs up. Yeah. Like, man, this is one of the reasons I would be such. I would like screw a child up is because I would just make up oh, story. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so there's your hold the candle, your linguistic history, geopolitical. <laughs> That's a good one. one. Uh, speaking uh, of you know, um, hallways, I was of power? speaking of corrupt the hallways of power. Let's go over our friends at the the, the ampersand, as I refer to them, Barnes and Noble. Um, <laughs> as we anticipated, uh, this lawsuit is going away quietly. With no, I'm I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I was like, wait, that's not what it says, Jeff. <laughs> Barnes and Noble has now filed a counterclaim against uh, Demos Parneros. Saying, uh, I'm not, but what are you? What bounces off me sticks to you, I believe, is the, the, the specific legal language. It's, um, <laughs> I'm rubber I'm and rubber, you're glue. You're glue. Yeah. <laughs> Basically saying, uh, we are not the ones that are the bigger jerks here. You are the bigger jerks. Um, saying in a counterclaim that he sexually harassed people in the workplace, also did some very specific things to preserve his position as a CEO by undermining the acquisition talks, which we quibbled about what you know a book retailer was. Um, BNN lawyers now allege that Parneros didn't just botch the sale of the company this past summer, but actively derailed it, apparently in an effort to preserve his position as a CEO. I guess the thinking being whatever company bought them would either install their own CEO as the CEO of the now the newly formed mm-hmm. company or as a part of the rearrangement say you know we don't want this Parneros dude we're going to bring in our own coach um to 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 call the plays and he didn't want that that's their allegation mm-hmm. I guess it could make sense I don't know Yeah there's um, so a this story isn't just here. this isn't just a this isn't just the legal defense they're mounting against his lawsuit I should say I if I, I don't think I hit that hard enough they're counter suing him right for legal fees but also to claw and back some of his salary and stuff that was happened during this time so it's a messier is i guess it's this thing. it's so messy and it's the stuff of like like it would make a great scene in a movie about yes. corporate chicanery you know that um 
he's portrayed as reluctant and even defiant and like that things come to a head after he's been, you know, interfering with and undermining this due diligence process. Things come to a head at a disastrous meeting on June 18th, which the purchaser, this mysterious purchaser or intended purchaser that we don't know who it was, but it was probably not Walmart because they're not a book retailer. <laughs> I gotta get my digs in while weird. I can. I thought that was weird that was mentioned in this article. I was very specific of that yeah, to say had, in the article. Yeah, that they had called in part, the, the meeting had been called in part to get a handle on the recent sales decline at Barnes & Noble. So Pernero is probably here, not just reluctant and defiant, but feeling threatened because they're analyzing a sales mm. decline and who's on the hook for that, if not the CEO. Um, and that at the meeting, the Barnes & Noble lawyers alleged that Parneros went on this long <laughs> rambling monologue. He failed to address issues and questions that were posed by the potential acquirer. He portrayed the company in an extremely and unduly negative light that he described Barnes & Noble as a, quote, ugly mess, um, and that said the company had no talent before he arrived. Um, man, that's like, this is an outburst that would be fun to watch on screen, but horrifying in person. Well, and verifiable. Um, like, suppose, I mean, right. theoretically, you could subpoena the everybody that was in, in the, the room. room and they could say right i mean it's right. not just that's not and, a he said she said necessarily i mean if there's more than three right. people i guess and there are um, sexual harassment claims that Barnes & Noble details uh, now in this counterclaim in which, in this countersuit, um, in which uh, a female employee reported two incidents in which she was subjected to unwanted touching and or unwanted comments of a sexual nature by Parneros. And um, these are the ones that Parneros referred to in his suit as a misunderstanding, mm -hmm. basically. But this is an interesting picture of this guy to be painting. And that's what Barnes & Noble is doing here, I think, is, look, this is a person, as they're saying, who, you know, not just resisted that this was happening at the company, but actively worked to undermine it. This, this like ego language around like that he's portraying the company as a mess, that he's saying there was no talent there before he arrived kind of jives with our idea about also the kind of guy who would abuse his position and, um, be a sexual harasser. Mm. And that's not to say that we can prove any of this, but this does add up to a picture that makes some sense to me. Um, yeah. I can see where Barnes and Noble is going here. It's, it, it seems plausible. And again, as you know, I'm not a um, prosecutor, a defense attorney, a trial mm -hmm. lawyer, or really any, know anything other than, um, well, really anything about the law, I should say. But boy, this doesn't seem like the kind of thing you do if you've got a, a seven of hearts and a two of spades, right? right? You know, it doesn't feel like that to me. Yeah, this is, I don't, I don't think that this is a bluff. No. Also, mm -hmm. if um, anyone out there has any pull with uh, John Carreyrou and who's looking for a project. Yes. <laughs> Corporate chicanery. I really is want, <laughs> I didn't have to be a full book, a long Wall Street Journal article, a long New Yorker thing. Like and the Theranos of, of the publishing <laughs> is super interesting to me. Um, cool. And I, I mean, again, it's, this is, I mean, they actually do sell books that actually you can right. buy. So it's not that. It's not, they're not perpetrating industry-wide fraud. But this, 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 this boardroom uh, mud fight uh, with this kind of, this is a very, you're right. It's a very theatrical scene that Barnes & Noble yeah. is describing. Uh, fascinating to, to mm -hmm. look at. Um I don't know what else to say. I was a little shocked. Publishers Weekly, I should say, you know, one of the, sometimes you notice the meta stuff, but Publishers mm -hmm. Weekly very, I would say, if anything, they 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 are uh, droll and uh, stoic 
about this, yeah. these kinds of reporting. And they have, they have this modifying phrase that opens a claim, in a stunning claim, comma. And I noticed that mm-hmm. to say, wow, even Publishers Weekly is saying it's a stunning <laughs> claim. Like, you know, they, they're, the amplitude on the reactions tend to be lower than mine to stuff like this. Yeah. So to see, even yeah. see that ripple, I was like, whoa, it is a big deal. It's not, it's not just me. I haven't just had uh, too much Frosted Flakes this morning. Well, I think like we swim in the water of thinking about these things all the time. And we think about Barnes and Noble so much Mm -hmm. that it's easy to lose a little perspective on how shocking or not something that is happening specifically, like anything in the industry that you just live in, but specifically with something as that we talk about as much as we talk about Barnes and Noble and having some validation of like, right, this, yeah, this is stunning. These are, these are very theatrical, like appalling Mm -hmm. behaviors and not, well, they may be more common than they should be, but really not common common in the like the regular everyday conducting of business. Yeah. Um, but it also goes away like if these stories are true, that goes some distance to explain why Barnes and Noble has not been doing so yeah. well. Yeah, no, like, it does. Is, right. If this is who the CEO is and the kind of way that he does his job like mm, well and he's like no. he's like negging his own company to not right. Walmart in front of other people like it's wild stuff. <laughs> to, to not Walmart. <laughs> and he, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it is wild stuff. It really is. And I think that that's why thinking about what that scene must have oh, looked like if it really happened that way, you know, if all the alleged things occurred as they're told is this is really amazing. This is not a thing that happens uh, no. just when you go to work every day yeah. and it shouldn't. But like maybe it makes it a little bit less mysterious. There's less head scratching about like why Barnes and Noble can't figure things out mm-hmm. if this is what's happening at the highest ranks over right, there. Right. Because when we saw these claims that he was under mind the acquisition i mean that that could be very subtle even if true right and also indeterminate ambiguous kinds of things that in the claim if we read something like this and it was a different situation where he i don't know didn't put his back into pitching the company or Mm -hmm. didn't go along with company strategy that's one where you could read it a couple of different ways saying the company was a mess there's no talent and this this article says that this potential acquirer, this not Walmart, they canceled the dinner they were supposed to have that night, and then the mm-hmm. next day said we're we're out. Like it was. Yep. There's a very sort of the timeline suggests a causality that, right. if true, would be <laughs> difficult to 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 to. I don't know, hand wave right. and say it wasn't right. Related. And could also be verified. Yep. You know, like those people can be the, the people from not Walmart can be yeah. asked for their account of what happened and the causality. Like we don't, at some point you get to stop making inferences. Yes. And if, you know, if this thing goes to court, if they don't settle, um, which I would be shocked if it went to court, like, you know, but we needed to go to record Rebecca. Do you know why <laughs> there's one? So we can go. No, well, there's one specific reason. Tell me. Because they'll subpoena not Walmart, and we'll know who it is. <laughs> and it won't be Walmart, and I will be right. God, what if it was Walmart? We'd have to shut the well, podcast down. That's it. That'd be the last episode. Do another maybe. sponsor. That's your reward for being right. Let's do another sponsor. <laughs> okay. Our next sponsor this week is Darkest Star by Jennifer L. Armentrout. In the world of the Lux, secrets thrive, lies shatter, and love is undeniable. 17-year-old Evie Dasher knows firsthand the devastating consequences of humanity's war with the aliens. Drawn into a world she doesn't understand, she finds herself confronted by long-buried secrets, a betrayal that could tear her life apart, and, and you knew this was coming, Mm. a guy who is not what he appears. And 
her growing attraction to him promises danger. Can Evie dare to love? Jennifer L. Armentrout is a number one New York Times, USA Today, and internationally best-selling author. She brings her trademark drama and intrigue to a new romantic YA science fiction series with The Darkest Star. It features Armentrout's most swoon-worthy book boyfriend yet. This is a brand new series set in the same world as The Lux with a completely new story and characters. So if you know The Lux books, you're going to get a little, you know, another hit of that mm. world. If you don't, that's fine. You're going to get brand new characters and a story you don't need to know anything going in. It's perfect for new readers and for returning fans. Visit Torteen, that's T-O-R-T-E-E-N.com to learn more about The Darkest Star by Jennifer L. Armentrout and more great reads. And again, that is The Darkest Star by Jennifer L. Armentrout, also available wherever books are sold. Yeah, I thought I had it in the um, more follow-up. I thought I put it in the agenda, but either I deleted it or got moved around or I had a, you know, went into a fugue state. Some follow-up about our Indigo talk. Um, last week, a lot of feedback mm. about the Indigo mm-hmm. talk. Not surprisingly, some of it was, you know, reaction is this cool or isn't cool, and you know, sort of a meta commentary about like, how do we feel about this as the future of book selling, you know, kind of going nuts with that as a, taking it to its logical but absurd conclusion there. But um, factual stuff too from the Canadians who have been very helpful um, in, you know, framing like, is this. Is this representative of Indigo's writ large in Canada, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like this kind of super high end, mostly, if not entirely, non discounting and, you know, this kind of shopping. And they said no, that from the, the by and large, the feedback we got from our Canadian listeners was this was markedly more higher end of experience than they would expect from walking into your, you know, rep, any Indigo you might walk into in Canada. Um, mm. that there's certainly, you know, it, it looks familiar, but the, the, at least the patina of fancy is ratcheted up quite a bit in this particular. So I thought that was interesting. Also some more information about Short Hills itself, you know, and the mall Short Hills is affluent, but also affluent beyond affluent is, you know, some of the feedback we got to of, you know, the average price per in the, for a house there is like one and a half million bucks, that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, so we're like... We have really exceeded bougie AF at this. Yeah, point. I think this is this is one um, percent territory. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what percentage threshold bougie AF uh, uh, tops out at. Does it does it go all the way to the top, or is there sort of a? It seems to me there's a sort of a, a striving level implicit in bougie, like you're, you're upwardly yeah, mobile, yeah. you're aspirational. Mm-hmm. Short Hills is a kind of place that if you're bougie, you, you aspire to, right? Yeah. <laughs> So um, I thought that was interesting. Now, that doesn't mean that Indigo's American strategy will not be just a series of stores in the most affluent zip codes, but it does suggest that it also might not be. You know, that this, if it were ever going to be a non-representative fancy on the more than two standard deviations away from what they would do on average, this certainly would be the place to do it. So, you know, one data point, that's our problem with one data point, right? Is it's a single (laughs) data. It's either indicative or non-indicative. And you can't figure it out yet. I think it's interesting, though, what is not, um, I guess, negotiable is if this is where they started. And I'd love to know the thinking about that. Um, Yeah, that is interesting. If it's not indicative of their strategy, then why start there? I guess that would be my question. Mm Because if it's indicative of your strategy, well, then, okay, then you're going to be in malls like this. But if you're not going to be exclusively or largely in malls like this, then why this one? 
Well, are you starting there because you're high end and that's a high end neighborhood? And so this one is a pretty guaranteed hit or like, you know, are they, I think that's, that's the question I have is were they looking to start in a place that would be a high likelihood of success? Uh, Were they looking to start somewhere where they could answer some questions about where they could go with this? And this looks to me like you, you put your high end store at your top end mm-hmm. of bouginess or even just as straight up aspirational shopping centers when you feel pretty confident like that gives you a high confidence index that like these are the customers they're going to spend money this location will likely be successful yeah. um, it feels meaningfully different to me from like you know the confusion that we feel about all of amazon's things yes. where it's like what are they doing and right. it's like clearly they're trying to answer some question yeah. and we can't get like we don't know what the question is this doesn't this from indigo that location doesn't look to me like trying to answer a question hmm. it looks to me like trying to put a location somewhere that it will make money tee one up for themselves like we know high-end exactly. store placements do well we don't want to fall on our face in our first foray uh into the American market, let's do what right. we know can work. Or have it's a not experimental. Right. This is not an experimental move. Yeah, I mean, America's the experiment, so don't do the demographic experiment stuff. I guess maybe that's control your variables mm-hmm. as much as you can. That would make sense sure. to me. Um, you know, but it, it also occurred to me again. I'm not a great retail shopper, and that is an understatement. Um, if you can't hear it <laughs> in my voice. I don't have a lot of experience with chains that have a lot of variability from location to location. If that makes sense, like how mm. variable can it really? be like can it really be i don't can it be short hills new jersey one percent and be the kind of place that goes into your run-of-the-mill barnes and noble location in a strip mall in lenexa do you see where i'm getting at there like yeah does that make probably. do people do that maybe i'm i'm sure that someone other than me might have an answer to that i don't have well, great experience I mean, with that you know there's there's barnes and noble in the suburbs in overland park in kansas city yeah, but like now they, we're like, just doing are, kansas city fancy, geography is the fancy quotient meaningfully different well but like the fancy quotient of that one on the plaza is higher it's not as big of a difference as you know the difference between like the overland park suburban mall barnes and noble and this indigo would be but i think there are there's gradation there okay okay because i thought i thought of the exact same answer i was like well the goods in the the stores are probably about the same and the prices are probably about the same Oh, you know, the sidelines are different. Like the books are probably uh, the same, go. but the sidelines change. That's like this is my understanding of um, chain retail is that like, right, like it's fun. This is fundamentally a bookstore. They're going to all the Barnes and Nobles are probably going to have basically the same books mm. given the given the usual variation between like what people in that area are reading, mm. you know, or, or what they're into. Like it, that's variable from location to location and city to city. But like the sidelines that you can sell in the suburbs of a working class community are different from the sidelines that you can sell like in the, in on the country club plaza where, you know, like the Armani store is down the street. That's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, I guess I was, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. I guess I was thinking more like there are there handbags or not sort of more binary condition, but that's a really Uh, good point that the sidelines. Yeah. It's like, are they fancy? Are the, how fancy are the journals? You know, do you, are you selling them a $10 journal? Exactly. A $10 journal. What's, and maybe they have that full range of things in both stores, but the, the working class neighborhood store has more tote bags that are $10 and the fancy location has, has the $10 tote bags, but also has like $40 Jonathan Adler candles or something, you know, um, you can buy candles for 40 bucks. I guess you can. (laughs) 
I mean, you just said it, so like, why? Would- I personally never have, but I am familiar. Yes, you. Yes, the short answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. You can spend money on everything. <laughs> <laughs> is, is is it marijuana candle? Is that why it's forty? I don't get. I mean, that's a different conversation. Forty dollars. The, the a, marijuana candle would probably be less. That's true. No, it's um. There, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, no. maybe someone has written narrative nonfiction about high end candles, and then you can read it. I have um, read a book about the history of the cost of light, and they didn't mention forty dollar candles. Well, which is why I didn't think it was impossible that you would read a history of. Oh, candles. it's not impossible. <laughs> It's not impossible. There's a brand called Diptyque that is oh very fancy. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, you know, if it's late at night and you're feeling bad about yourself, you can just, you know, go further by Googling. Do you ever go to Waxman Candles in Lawrence? Do you ever you ever do that back when? You... I think I did, yeah, yeah. It's like an old, I mean, it's it's fancier now, but an old hippie kind of a store where they do hand-dipped mm-hmm. candles. And, you know, they're a couple bucks for the, what they called votives. God, how do I even know that? It's so embarrassing. <laughs> Um, but like the $40 ones were like these giant, like multi-wick, like sculpted kind of a thing. So, um, I guess I do have experience with $40 <laughs> candles if, uh, mm-hmm. you know. it's, there's a, it, it's a luxury. Yeah, market. I guess so. Aromatherapy is what they probably call it, right? Like that's where you get it. Uh, that's where you can probably, ratchet up the price. Um, I don't even, I don't There's even a pseudoscience know. tax, uh, that's applied <laughs> to it. Let's move Let's on. Let's move on to other things. Uh, speaking of pseudoscience, um, public <laughs> voting for awards. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. The Goodreads Choice Award voting is open now. Um, a little more festive in their branding of this this year. I don't know if you noticed the yeah, same thing. A little gold glitter. Yeah, it looks exciting. Right? Yeah. Also, um, some embedded ads, which, you know, since this is what we do, we notice this sort of stuff too, mm-hmm. as well. It makes a lot of sense to put this here. You know, I'm in the same boat as I was for the National Book Award long list and uh, whatever it is. I haven't read a lot of super new books this year. I guess since there's more, uh, I guess, pop nonfiction kinds of categories, meaning humor, science, and technology, you get a little more um, stratification and fragmentation in those categories. I have more to say about that. There's also a best of the best which is apparently a thing that's happening now. It's like flavors of Doritos. Mm-hmm. It's multiplying all over the place, people doing these best of the best things. Um, we're 10 years into the Goodreads Choice of World, so we have 10 years of winners that we can pick the golden booker or what is, the golden snitch. I don't remember what they're calling the other stuff, but <laughs> apparently we like to pick the best of the best. Um, th- that's the thing we can do now. I was gonna. I meant to shoot you this question before we were recording, so mm. you could be ready. But is there any of these categories you want to look at together, real quick? We can't do them oh, all. There's too many. There's well, any, any you'd like to hear me blather about, you, or you'd like to blather to me about? <laughs> That's a good question. I clicked open. Like I have tabs open for categories that I have read books. Okay, in this tell year me about pick one or two. Let's talk about them for a minute. Not literary fiction. Okay, well, let's see. So, um, a couple highlights from food and cookbooks. Oh Lord. Okay, great. I don't know anything about this. Well, that's not true. Maybe S- I have one. Solidly, yeah, you do know. Yeah. Solidly in the Shinsky wheelhouse, but buttermilk. Yeah, look at that. By Edward Lee, love which we book. both loved, yeah. is uh, is a finalist. And Killing It by Kamas Davis um, is there. And I didn't see nearly as much conversation about this book as I wanted to. She uh, quit her job as a journalist to become a butcher. Mm-hmm. And she, li- she lives in Portland, Jeff. Oh, really? Um, so you could go. Wait, yeah, you could go. 
uh, Killing It by Kamas Davis. It's right next to Buttermilk Graffiti on the Goodreads. Oh, it's um, the first thing. I just, I have blind, I was, uh, yeah. Yeah. She's holding a big cleaver. Yeah. Um, oh, it's the first thing on the list for you because it's not for me. They must be randomizing. Mm, good for them. Great, which, Speaking of yeah, non-pseudoscience. That's nice. I like that. Um, anyway, she was a journalist. She quit her job to become a butcher because she was tired of writing about the people doing the thing mm. and she wanted to be the person doing the thing. And she goes to France and studies <laughs> with, um, I believe it's France, and like she sure, has some connections yeah. through people. She ends up in France um, learning from these folks who run like a, a family farm and butchery and she learns like the old traditional ways of butchery and of thinking about like using the whole animal. Um, and then also gets into the modern ethics of what it, the ethics of eating meat, the ethics of um, raising animals for food and what that means. Mm. And just it's so thoughtful and interesting. If it felt very in the vein of Hammerhead by yep. Nina McLaughlin to me, so I also think that like you personally would like well, it. Well, there's that a whole reason. genre of I quit my job to take on a working class job, I, which I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, and there's some shop classes, soul craft mm-hmm. elements to it, um, but just a great book and a fascinating person. So I really liked seeing both of those. Wait, um, I, you can guess. I've read another one of these books we haven't talked about, and it's probably the most boring one on here. Can you which guess one? what it is? It's Mark no. Kurlansky's History of Milk. <laughs> I did love his book about salt, yeah. so I cannot. I read all of them: paper, stone. cod, salt, <laughs> milk. Anyway, I mean, he's the. I think that his work is the example that, like, if you do it the right way, you can make anything. Yeah, really it's actually it's a little bit too much of or, a page turner for me, Mark Kurlansky. Yeah, or like reflective, actually, of that most things are interesting when looked at through the right lens. Yeah, Maybe right. That's the way that that's the way that if it's I think if a thing it. is Let's, in the world and the world is interesting, ergo that thing mm-hmm. can be interesting because it exists in the world, kind of. Right. Idea. Let's talk about um, best nonfiction. Okay. I think we we probably have some. Uh, let's see. some work now. We this can is randomized there. for me too. Just nonfiction okay. in general. Oh, here it is. Yeah, it just says best nonfiction. Oh yeah, so, I've read several of mm-hmm. these actually. Yeah, the first one on my display is Mine Bad Blood, too, which. Have we, did yes. we talk about it on the show? Have we talked about it this I don't year? Know. I don't know. I talked about it on all the books, but I don't yeah. know if we've talked about it. I, here's the thing. I don't know if it's good. It's, if Bad Blood is well, good. Well, I mean, it's a page turner. It's an incredible mm. story. Is it good Like beyond that? Like it's well or reported. Like, like is it well written? Is it like, does oh. it do a Kurlansky kind of thing? Of Is the degree of difficulty hard, I guess is what I'm trying to get at in terms of a writing project? You know what? I think that it must be good because the like th- it's the kind of story that like you and I were going to read no matter yeah. what. But I've seen enough different kinds of readers, at least in our community, pick it up and get hooked on yeah. it that I w- that I have been surprised by. Um, that he does a good job of like we're we understand how startup culture yes. works. We know some things about how businesses run and how funding things work, and like so we can hear some of the stuff in there that is. T- Insidery yeah. banana pants, but he makes the banana pantsness of it all like very, uh, just brings it yeah. all. And, and right I guess when you've got out. a story that good, just get out of the way. It's like if you're having good ingredients, don't like you know put um, I don't know it cannabis need, yeah, foam that... with a you know a curry <laughs> sugar cage on it or whatever. Like yeah, bad just, blood, right? It doesn't need any doesn't get out of the way. And I think the, I, I'm amending my. Fr- I, I think in that regard. It is super skillful and just letting this train on rails run. Mm-hmm. Where you're just like, what on earth? It doesn't need to make a 10,000 year narrative out of a dairy product. Like, you've got a good story. Just right. let it go. Right. Let it it's go. just, 
a good i don't know if it'll stand the test of time no um but it's a i thought i think it's a great book um so you want to talk about race by Ijioma oluo is on here i think that's an essential yes, it is. read for anybody who cares about trying to get it right um or even just trying to get it better um in how we talk about race um, especially people who are white learning to talk about race with people who are not white and how we address racial issues let's see what else have i read on here um I read Part of Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinker, which is a huge book. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to read that, but the commitment is getting on me. It's the, it's a big commitment. It's it kind of had to, in my experience, it kind of had the Gladwell effect of like I knew where he was going well before the end of the book, and I was like, I agree with you, and I don't need to go any mm-hmm. further. Um, but is about the case for reason and science and humanism in this moment, and um, it was a dose of optimism that I needed at the time that I read it. Mm. Um, Fear by Bob Woodward is on here. Susan Orlean's library book. Um, oh, you mm-hmm. did? Uh, Not That Bad by Roxane Gay, an essay collection or an anthology of essays um, by a bunch of people about rape culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara about the Golden State Killer, which I listened to on audio. And I am a hearty one, but like I could not. No, no, thank <laughs> you. Too, uh-uh. You should not go no there. Way. You should not. It was too creepy. Um, and then Factfulness by Hans Rosling, which I haven't read, but is the book <laughs> that Bill Gates yes. was giving away to every college graduate this year. Um, it keeps bubbling up now. Like some of this is just Bader Meinhof that I see it everywhere. Um, I didn't put together. But, there was a new book. For some reason, I thought it was an older book. I didn't book. either. I, I don't, but there some it sort is. of weird bias that you could give away for free an older book, but a new one would be harder. But anyway, there we go. Yeah. And, um, I also have not read Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis, but I'm seeing That it book is everywhere. selling. I was looking at Publishers Weekly, mm-hmm. and that book is selling, um, which is yeah, a... Yeah, I'm seeing that one all over exactly the place. sure. My, my understanding, it's, it's a Christian title of some yeah, kind? Yeah, yeah. She's a Christian writer. It's like a Christian mm. um, kind of feminist, inspirational self-help is my, okay. my understanding of it's it. Not, it's um, not about personal hygiene. No. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's like a self carry kind of book. I okay. think. Um, I have um, also read, if you're done with the other ones you've read, uh, yep. I read Skin in the Game by Nassim Taleb. Oh, mm-hmm. which now that I was, it's funny I talk about the bad blood of an interesting topic we get out of the way. This one is a not very well written or organized book with a really interesting idea at this core. Is that okay. harsh? It's harsh, I guess. Um, well, it's honest. <laughs> I mean, again, maybe I'm misinterpreting the guy as much smarter than I am. I think. Maybe I don't, I don't know. It, it seems like I, I could have done it a different way. It doesn't suffer from the Gladwell effect of being too neat, if, if I'll put it that mm. way. But like the idea is like <laughs> there's there's a sort of an, it's sort of an ethical question of how involved and how you should think about weighing in on decision in which you don't have skin in the game, right? Uh, you know, like mm-hmm. is it ethical to express and have strong opinions about something that really won't affect you? And to and mm. so that it that you trump other people's reasoning, well, it will affect them. Like, when should you stay out of it? And like, whose kinds of opinions, maybe and analyses, should you think about when trying to make a decision about something that does affect you? Like, you know, one classic example is, um, uh, you know, people on uh, cable uh, financial news networks making buy and sell declarations. Mm. Does mm-hmm. it cost them anything to get it right or wrong? I was thinking of rooms full of old men making decisions about reproductive health care. Yeah, you could, I mean, there, you could go a whole bunch of different ways, right? And like, 
that there and you can tell by the cover like it's a barbell with a different amount of weight on one side than the other like could you could you think about giving different weights or weighting different kinds of inputs differently by whether or not that actually affects that person and how it affects that person or how it affects that group um which i think is a really interesting idea is it um well, we use the language of an interesting mess with each other. Is it interesting enough to be worth the mess? Uh, Would you recommend it? No. No? I think maybe I gave you enough right there, frankly. In, in okay. a way, like, All right. maybe if you want some specific examples, you're finding it hard to do. I feel like I want someone to clean it up mm, mm. a little okay. bit. But, but as you could tell, I could articulate some interest and a relatively detailed explanation of the idea is something I've thought about, right? Like even in a work situation, if someone comes to you a problem and you're like, you know, what should I do about this? Or like, or your, your, your immediate inclination to provide an answer is like, well, does this affect me? And so if it doesn't affect me, why am I offering a solution rather than helping them articulate, you know, what their problems Uh are, what might matter? I think it's a really interesting thing to think about um, in that regard. And it, it can be about identity politics. You know, you might think that'd be an obvious place to go with it, but it is and it isn't. Like, there's a whole bunch of situations where mm-hmm. I think the skin part is, it's a, it's... It's a good beat to yeah, take. Yeah, it's a good beat to take. Yeah. But anyway, there's that. I read 21st Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Noah Harari, which I mm, like, but I have to say it didn't stick with me. I mean, some of it is how it's organized okay. that there's like 21 discrete chapters and... I felt like I kind of got a lot of the same stuff out of his follow-up mm. to um, the first book, which I'm now blanking on which Latin name goes with Sapiens, Sapiens right? Um, I liked it. I like. I, I would recommend it. Um, it was interesting. And then what else? Library book. I don't. I, you know, I don't like to badmouth a book. I felt like. Yeah, I don't. It, it's interesting. I, I think if you like books and you listen to this podcast, you're going to want to read this book. I'm just not sure. It's like a, it's a good swing and a miss to me, the book. Like it was mm. kind of all over. It's about this particular library, but libraries in general and a thought piece. And it has the Orlinian thing of like the orchid thief of being about everything, but also what is it about is at the same time. Like, I don't know. Again, I'm also have a weird particular, particular thing because I just, you know, I spent six weeks researching one, the Carnegie library thing by itself. <laughs> so my mode, like this is only like 280 pages and it's called the library book. So I'm like, you can't do that to libraries. I need, uh, you know, like I'm saying, I need the Stephen Pinker 1,200 page, like. I need 19 more yeah, volumes right. Of this. So I might also be the wrong audience for the right book, if that makes yeah, sense. I got it in the mail and looked at it, and I also don't want to bash it. But I think that I have become not the audience for books. Yeah, you books. have. <laughs> I just, I have lost a lot of like, um romanticism about books i guess and i just don't like i just don't care it's a straight shot up the middle for a lot of readers or like if if you want to sell a book you can make it a book about books that's a category Mm -hmm. in a lot of things and i get it um i think i've just seen too much of it or it's now like it looks to me like i know what you're doing yeah you know so i mean that that's why i'm saying i think for a person who likes books but doesn't swim around in the muck of it like we do right i think there's a real and Frankly, that's the right audience. Do not pitch yeah, books to people cur- like us. Right. Uh, that is <laughs> no. in this category. It's not going to work. Um, so that, that's that's it. So it, I'm going to make a very uh, idiosyncratic or a disclaimer about my reaction to, mm-hmm. to that one and fully recognize yeah. that there's a high probability that it's just me. 
I think um, we can skip the fiction page. Yeah, I think we just, we're done with that. I think we've done way more than I was expecting to do with the Goodreads Choice Awards, unless there's somewhere else you want to go with it. Yeah, there's not really, there's a couple things on memoir that I liked, a um, couple things on, I clicked on science and technology. Yeah, I did too. Um, but yeah, interest, I mean, they're interesting lists, mm-hmm. but it's also never like super The Goodreads Regression to the Mean Choice Awards. I mean, yes. no, I mean, it is which interesting, is, which is useful, I think, frankly. Um, yeah, it's not, see. and it's not shade on Goodreads. No. Like that's what happens when giant populations of people weigh in on anything. I mean, I wouldn't mind having a giant book riot regression to the Mean Choice Award. That means you have millions of people, you know, right. interacting yeah. with your thing. Like, like, yeah, may we, may we grow large enough to reach regression <laughs> right. to the mean? <laughs> Wait, may we grow large enough for our awards to be super predictable by math? <laughs> That, that you know what that is a problem I would love yeah, to have. That's right. It's 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 an old uh, it's an old um, German saying. May you grow large enough that you are statistically predictable. Um, <laughs> let's do one more <laughs> sponsor, and then we've got uh, there are some potpourri. Yeah, most interesting story of the week. This episode mm-hmm. of the Book Riot podcast is brought to you by Penguin Random House Audios. Try audiobooks dot com. Keep up with your book club reading by listening to the audiobook. Audiobooks are the perfect complement to your busy schedule. Listen to new releases such as The Kennedy Debutante by Carrie Marr and read Julia Whelan uh, and read by, excuse me, Julia Whelan and you can enjoy a whole new book club, club experience. For more listening suggestions, visit tryaudiobooks.com/bookriot. That's tryaudiobooks.com/bookriot. Get yourself some picks, find out what's out there. You know, talk to your book club about, you know, is there, did, did anyone else listen to this book? What did you think of the performance? There's another, like, layer to the onion of book discussion. Um, there. And as you know, anyone who's listened to an audiobook knows narrator matters. I've listened to some books just because I like the narrator, and I've quit listening mm-hmm. to books I really wanted to listen to because I, I, the narrator wasn't click with me. Speaking of Susan Orlean, I was going to listen to The Orchid Thief because I'd never read it. And I could, uh-huh. the, the narrator, I was like, you know what, can't do it, went to print, nope. mattered. And then I like this narrator that does some other books, and I looked through the back catalog and picked up something randomly and just enjoyed it. It was something I would have picked up. I mm-hmm. would give the narrator's name right now, but I forgot, and I don't have it written down in front of me. That's why. That's why I feel like I, it feels like I'm being cagey about it. Because it's not because I'm sophisticated. It's because I'm uh, well, forgetful. This is the conclusion that we've just come to in general, right? If you think that something's not happening because the other party is being cagey, you just don't have a link probably ready. not. Yeah, just have a link They're ready. just not prepared. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just don't know. Um, all right. In... The weirdest and also most delightful somehow (laughs) news of the week, which involves an attempted murder that I don't want to make light of. Um, Two scientists who have worked together in Antarctica on a remote, in a remote, like already remote Mm -hmm. location in a, you know, spent off harsh four years at Russia's isolated Bellingshausen station. Um, They've, they've spent time there. They've also spent time in Antarctica. One attacked the other, um, attempted to, or did stab him, Mm -hmm. successfully stabbed him, um, has been charged with attempted murder and became enraged because his colleague kept telling him the end of the books he had read before he read them. (laughs) Was reading, right? Yeah, that like they they both became avid readers as a way to deal with, you know, basically the boredom and all the downtime of being scientists in Antarctica. Um, And one was 
it was just spoilers. He was just given spoilers. And the other one, um, there also, Jeff, there was alcohol involved. No, you don't say. I'm sure you'll be shocked uh, that that's what happened. But it came to a head. (laughs) He couldn't take any more spoilers. And he stabbed the guy. And the... (sighs) (laughs) Obviously, you should not stab people for any reason. Um, We're not condoning violence. But I get being, you know, a little... I get being upset about ongoing spoilers. That's just not well. Cool. It's one of those situations where it's it's kind of not about the book spoiling. It's no. kind of just be a big, being a jerk, right? And you're right. isolated. Like, Imagine like, the other things that <laughs> this guy right, was this also like, doing. Probably the yeah. manifestation of jerkitude here was. That, yeah, I mean, you know, wow. and this is like it's a way to needle a person because I'm sure that this is not the first conversation that they have no. about. Like, dude, stop spoiling. Yeah, you stuff. didn't go from saying it's cool to spoil the books to like knives out, you know, right away. Right. But what? I guess this tells me a couple of things. Don't go to Antarctica. Right? I mean, <laughs> that that would be the, the lesson you took from it. What was that <laughs> story that was about? It, oh, it was Russians in a bar the Russian arguing about guys. Chekhov. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Or Pushkin right. or something? Yeah, yeah. We, and one of them yeah, murdered they were the arguing other one. About, um, one of them pulled a knife. Do not yeah. get into a literary debut. Uh, dispute with Russians because they take it really seriously, I guess. It kind of got passed around the internet and uh, you can, like in a jokey kind of way, but dude, a dude got stabbed and had to be evacuated, like kind of dark at the same time. I don't know. I'm worried about how this got passed around. Yeah, I think like you're you're in a uh, literal and psychologically dark place in Antarctica when this is happening. Like by the time that you're broken, like that, that repeated spoilers about books and whatever else antagonistic behavior was going on between these guys. Like it's not, it's not good. Um, There was some delight about how this happened. And of course, readers are like, well, I get it. Spoilers, but it's just, it's also, um, yeah, we don't want to make light of it. Not a cool situation. Yeah. I guess it does highlight though that, um, you know, as a way to to antagonize someone, this is something you could totally see right. making someone super mad, though. Like, you kind of yeah. get, like, how this could make someone super mad. Like, it's a sign of, of total disrespect and, you know, willful mm-hmm. peeing in the punch bowl. It's just a really bad situation. I've never heard of anything like this. The line that got me was first case of attempted murder in Antarctica. <laughs> kind which, of surprising, actually, given that they're out there. Yeah, there, like. I, I, I guess you would, I think it's like NASA, though, where they try to do psychological profiling and maybe mm-hmm. one of the, one or mm-hmm. both of these guys slipped through the goalie of that test because he, anyone who would needle someone by telling them the ending of the book shouldn't be with one other person for four years in a row <laughs> Agreed. in Antarctica. You know, just should not, just should not be there. <laughs> I hope everything turns out okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried, but I don't like. Again, it, it sounds weird to say I don't like this story, but it's not as funny as yeah. I think some people reading the headline will, will find out. Not an onion piece could be an onion piece. Right, right. I think that's part yeah. of the problem. Is it? It's, feels and so it's like it's believable, extreme. right? Like that's one of those yeah. like kernels. Is like, yeah, of course he got that mad. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks okay. so much for all of our sponsors this week. Uh, go check out the show notes here. I don't think we have any open questions for um, listeners. If you've got any uh, Goodreads Choice Awards feedback, you know, don't get don't give us a rundown of your winner for every one. But if you feel super strongly about one of the books in this category, I think I'd like to know that. Podcast at bookriot.com. You can find show notes of this and all back episodes of the Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Rebecca, thank you as always. Thank you. Have a good one. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm.